the divine souls. So far in this series, I've explained to you that every soul desires God and God only, and that God is perfect happiness. So desiring God and desiring happiness means one and the same thing. And a soul can only attain perfect happiness by attaining God, by knowing God. So the Vedas tell us that we must know God, and we must know God in this life. Because in this life we've received a human birth, and the human birth is the only opportunity to attain God, because only as a human being are we in a karma-yoni. Karma-yoni means that we can perform karma which will bear fruit. So we can progress spiritually. And we can attain God in this life, but it's not possible in any other life form. <clears throat> so being born as a human being is a very rare opportunity. How will we know God? Should we ask anyone else in this world? No, that would be a case of the blind leading the blind. Andhe naiva niyamana yathandha just like one blind man just yells out, Oh, I'm trying to get to Radha Govinda Dham. He's wandering around here somewhere on Hillside Avenue and he says, Oh, please, somebody help me get to Radha Govinda Dham. So there's another blind man in the crowd. He thinks, I'm also blind, but he doesn't know that. So he says, Oh, oh. Come, come here, I'll guide you, I'll guide you. So that poor, naive, blind man, he takes the hand of the other blind man, and they both start walking, and they end up out in traffic, and who knows what happens to them. In other words, how can they reach their destination with one blind man leading another blind man? In other words, if someone else is in the same boat as us, they don't know God, how are they going to guide us to find God? So asking our fellow other souls under the bondage of Maya, it doesn't make sense. Okay, what about asking a God-realized soul, a Mahapurush? Yes, that would be a fine idea. But then you have a couple of problems that come up, first of all. Number one, how will you find and how will you recognize such a God-realized saint? They don't wear a tattoo or any kind of, uh, you know, signboard around their neck or they don't have any kind of physical characteristic by which you can identify them, who is a saint and who isn't, who is truly God-realized and who isn't. If you walk into uh, their room, there's no certificate on their wall that they get from God upon God-realization. <laughs> you know, like uh, dollar bills... Here in America, they're printed in such a way that you're not supposed to be able to counterfeit them, right? So there's some special markings on them so you can tell if it's a real bill or not. Same thing when a university gives you a diploma, they have their special stamp on it and that means it's a real diploma. So there's no such diploma you get from God that you can keep on your wall so then everyone that comes can know, oh yes, this is a God-realized saint. So how will you recognize and how will you find such a God-realized saint? How will you have faith in such a saint? There would always be the doubt in your mind that is this person God-realized or are they not God-realized? Even such is the case with historical saints, people can always find out. Then where will we look for the true knowledge of God? There's one place you can look, which is beyond any shred of a doubt, any shadow of a doubt. That is the Vedas. Even other writings of saints, you could say, well, how do I know it was a saint who wrote this Puran or this Ramayana? People can find doubt in anything. <laughs> We're of a doubting nature. But the Vedas are such that no one can have doubt in them. Why? Because they're Bhagwan Kivani. 
If you can't trust God's own words about himself, then who are you going to trust? You want to know about God? Go to God himself. And we can't meet God personally yet until we've achieved that level of devotion. But we have his own varni, we have his own words in the form of the Vedas. So in the Vedas, Bhagwan himself says about the Vedas, Na Vedavin Manute Tam Brihantam The one who does not know the Vedas cannot know me. In other words, we must take the refuge of the Vedas in order to know God. Regarding the Vedas, there are a couple of contradictory opinions in our own scriptures. I told you previously that there are six schools of philosophy, six darshan shastras in our body of scriptures. Among the great body of scriptures we have in Sanatana Dharma, six darshan shastras are part of that. So one of the darshan shastras, Purva Mimansa, seems to have a disagreement with other darshan shastras like Nyaya darshan and Vaisheshik darshan. Purva Mimansa says, Ved is eternal, Anadi, Anant. It never began and it will never end. Nyaya and Vaisheshik say, no, the Varni of Ved, the Shabd of Ved, meaning the words of the Ved, they had a beginning and they will have an end. Purva Mimansa also says, Srishti is Anadi. In other words, the, this creation of the universe goes on forever. Nyaya and Vaisheshik say, no, it has a beginning and an end. So there seem to be some contradictions. But if you understand the overall philosophy, there's no contradiction. As regards Srishti, we know that Srishti is a cycle. I'll be getting into this more in the next couple of days. Srishti is a cycle of creation and dissolution. So although the Srishti does not always exist in this form, in this physical manifested form of the universe, the energy of the universe is not destroyed when the form of the universe is destroyed. In other words, the universe is dissolved, but the energy is not destroyed. It's dissolved into a subtle form, and then again it's manifested into this gross physical form. And that's an endless cycle. So on the one hand, you can say that this srishti is impermanent. It has a beginning and it has an end. But on the other hand, you can say it's eternal because the energy of maya is not destroyed. It simply cycles between the phases of manifestation and dissolution. Something like this is the, the shabd of the Vedas. I have to give you a bit of a technical explanation for you to understand this. You don't have to remember all the terminology, but you'll get the idea of how Ved itself is manifested and then goes back into a subtle form. In Ved, again it says, Nihi Shvasita Masya Vedaha that before manifesting the universe, God manifested the Vedas. Again, Purva Mimansa says, Ved is Apaurusheya, not produced by anyone, including God. And Nyaya and Vaisheshik say, Ved is Paurusheya. Why? Because God is Purush and Nishvasitamasya Vedaha. God exhaled and out came the Vedas. So they were produced by him. So they're Paurusheya. But Purva Mimansa says, no, 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 no. They, they were within God. He merely manifested them outwardly. He didn't create them. So they're Apaurusheya. They're not even made by God. Both are correct. How does God manifest them? How do they go into Him and back out? For that, you have to understand that there's four main kinds of Varni. Varni means like a, a word. Um, you'll get the idea when I explain it to you. 
यू हैव परावाणी पश्यंती वाणी मध्यमा वाणी एंड वैखरी वाणी परावाणी इज द मोस्ट सरल एंड वैखरी वाणी इज द लीस्ट सरल फॉर्म ऑफ वाणी वाणी मीन्स लाइक अ साउंड और स्पोकन वर्ड सो Paravarni is how the Vedas stay within God in an extremely subtle form. So the varni of the Vedas is still there. That varni is said to relate only to the soul. The next one, Pashyanti varni, in that it's a slightly less form of the varni, a slightly less subtle form of the varni, but still in that form, Shabd and Arth are one. It's hard to understand, but you know how there's a word and there's the meaning of that word? So the two are separate normally. You have the shabd, the word, and the arth, the meaning of the word. But in paravarni and also in pashyantivarni, shabd and arth are one and the same. And even in this pashyantivarni, we still haven't come to the level of man yet. Man cannot yet perceive. Man means the the mind. The antahkaran cannot yet perceive this level of varni. The next level of varni, called madhyama varni, can be perceived in the antahkaran. It still can't be heard by the ear. And in this form, shabd and arth are actually they become separate, and in the form of madhyama varni. Then the final one, Vaikharivani. This is the spoken word that we're familiar with that can be heard. Even that is divided into two. Number one, whispered. Like the one that can only be heard if someone whispers it in your ear. And number two, Uchayi, which is how I'm speaking now. So you have all these different kinds of Varni. When God gave Ved, to Brahma, and when he gave it to the Rishis, he gave it in the form of Pashyantivarni and Madhyamavarni. In other words, he didn't speak it to them, like I'm speaking to you. He gave it to them in that subtle form. So in one form, in the most subtle form, it's kept within God, and then he produces it outwardly in a less subtle form and reveals that to Brahma and the Rishis. So when that's revealed to Brahma and the Rishis, again, that relates, at most, they can perceive that with their antahkaran, they're not hearing a spoken word. So they receive the Ved in a subtle form. Then when those Rishis reveal the Vedas to the world, they do so in the form of Vaikharivani, the spoken or written word. So we have that now, we have the Vedas in that gross form here in the world, but they exist eternally in that subtle form within God, and in a slightly less subtle form, it's communicated by God to Brahma and the Rishis. And then they make it available in the least subtle form, the Vaikharivani, here in this world. And of course, when the world is dissolved, when we have a Pralay, then just like the gross form of the universe is lost because it dissolves into a subtle energetic form. Similarly, the gross form of the Vedas, the Vedas cease to exist in that Vaikharivani form. But they're not lost. They still exist within God in that Paravarni form. In this way, we know that the Vedas are eternal and they are a divine power which relates to God and in fact is equal to God. Ved and Bhagwan are one and the same. So it is only through the Vedas that we can know God. What do Vedas say about God? As I mentioned yesterday, they say something slightly confusing about how to know God. Yasya matam tasya matam matam yasya na vedasa avigyatam vijanatam vigyatam avijanatam. 
Tain Upanishad says, you can't know God on your own. In fact, if someone thinks they can know God, they're completely mistaken. The one who knows that they, they cannot know God understands the fact. Gita also says, Vedaham samatitani vartamanani charjuna bhavishyani chabhutani maam tu vedana kashchana Shri Krishna says, Arjuna, I know everything past, present and future, but nobody can know me. Maam tu vedana kashchana Ram swarupa tumhar Vachan agochar buddhi par Avigat akath apar Neti neti nita nigamavad In the Ramayana it is also said that Ram, your form is beyond human intellect. The human intellect cannot reach you. Yato vacho nivartante aprapya manasasaha Taittari Upanishad The human mind, the human intellect cannot reach God. He is unattainable. He is indescribable. Even the Vedas themselves cannot fully describe God. No matter to what extent they describe God, they always keep saying na iti, na iti. Meaning, however much we've said, he is not only that, he is more. So, it seems that knowing God is impossible. Yet, he is our only goal. And we've been cautioned that if we don't know God in this life, it's like a big disaster for us. We're losing a great opportunity. So before we despair, let's at least find out why the Vedas say we can't know God. Let's start there. Why can we not know God? Let's ask the same Vedas. So Ved gives a very nice description. Indriyebhya parahyartha arthebhyascha param manah manasastu parabuddhi Buddheratma Mahan Para Mahata Paramadvyakta Madvyaktat Purusha Para Purushan Naparam Kinchit Sakashtha Sa Paragati Kathopanisha. This gives a nice way to understand it. Kathopanishad says, think of your Indriya. Your Indriya means your five senses. More subtle than your five senses are the five objects of the senses called Panchatan Matra. More subtle than that is your man, your emotional mind. More subtle than your man, more subtle meaning beyond. Beyond your man is your buddhi. So in other words, beyond your senses are the objects of the senses. Beyond also means superior to, beyond the reach of. So although you can grasp some objects of your senses, you cannot grasp all. You have a limit to how far you can see, what you can hear, what range of decibels you can hear what you can smell. So you have limitations of your senses. So the objects of the senses are beyond your senses. Beyond the objects of the senses are your is your mind, your man. But there's another aspect of your antahakarana called buddhi, which is said to be superior to man, because buddhi is the power of discrimination, which is higher than the man, which is just the part that feels urges and desires. Buddhi has the ability to control that, so it's considered higher. Buddhi is beyond man. Beyond your buddhi is your atma, your soul. 
because buddhi cannot reach atma beyond atma is maya because all we souls were all under maya and beyond maya is god so you have that kram indriya objects of the those indriya then man then buddhi then atma then maya then bhagwan so when your buddhi your intellect cannot even reach to your own soul how is it going to reach to god that's why god is beyond our reach how can we know him he's beyond our intellect beyond our senses beyond our emotional mind beyond our intellect completely beyond this is the explanation given by veda again we can ask the question why why is he beyond okay listen to the explanation given by vedas divyo hyamurti purusha sabahya bhyantaro hyajah mundakopanishad a simple explanation he is divine and we are prakrit material meaning our whatever faculties we have with which to perceive him all of those faculties meaning indriya man buddhi our senses emotional mind intellectual mind it's all material it's all made of maya so when god is divine how could you perceive him with a material intellect it's impossible You see, each sense relates to one of the panchamahabhut. There are five tattva that this whole universe is made of. You would be familiar with these names: Akash, Vayu, Tej, Jal, Prithvi. These are the five bhut, the five maha panchamahabhut that all material things are made of. so akash the space that relates to this sense hearing sense each one of our senses refers to or is related to you can say one of these five basic material elements so the space allows for the traveling of sound thus the sense of hearing is related to that akash vayu allows for the movement or is the movement of air that allows for feeling so the sense of touch relates to vayu tej is light like fire light that allows us to see so the sense of sight is related to that tej element jal or water allows for taste so the sense of taste is related to that jal element and prithvi is related the earth solid matter that's related to the sense of smell so you see each of our mayak senses is related to one of these five material elements then how could with the same five senses we have which are conditioned only to perceive those mayak things how with the same senses could we perceive divine things impossible you see even within those material senses if you try to see with your ear can you do it no you can only hear with your ear you can perceive sound with your ear you cannot perceive light with your ear so you would think okay all my senses are prakrit mayak so why couldn't i just perceive all the things with any of my senses all the all the objects of the senses the five material elements they're all prakrit all my senses are prakrit so with any sense i should be able to perceive any material element it doesn't work that way then how could we expect with the same prakrit senses to be able to experience anything divine totally out of the question so since god is divine and our senses mind and intellect are all material so we cannot know him that's number 1 reason why we why we cannot know god 
Number two. Reason number two why we cannot know God with our material senses and mind is told to us by Kain Upanishad. Yan manasa namanute ye na hurmano matam tadeva brahmatvam vidhi nedam yadidam upasate yadvacha nabhyuditam ye navagabhyudyate tadeva brahmatvam vidhi nedam yadidam upasate Yat chakshushana pasyati yena chakshugvanshi pasyati tadeva brahmatvam vidhi nedam yadidamupasate Yat shrutrena nashrinoti yena shrutramidagvam shrutam tadeva brahmatvam vidhi nedam yadidamupasate Yat pranena napraniti yena prana praniyate Tadeva Brahmatvam Vidhi Nedam Yadidam Upasate <clears throat> These mantras are telling us that God is the one giving life to our mind. Because He's giving life, He's the Prerak, and we are Prerya, so He gives life to our mind, thus our mind can think, know, and understand. He gives prerana to our vani thus we can speak he gives life to our eyes thus we can see he gives life to our ears thus we can hear he's the life force behind our life thus we are alive so when he is our prerak and our senses eyes ears nose and our mind they're all prerya they're all given life by him, then how could those that mind and those senses that are given life by God actually know God? Or to think of it from another perspective, look at reason number three. Tameva bhanta manubhati sarvam tasya bhasa sarvamidam vibhati. Ved says he is the illuminator, he is prakashak, and we are prakashya. Jagat prakasya prakashak ramu mayadhish jnana gunadhamu. In other words, Bhagawan is giving illumination to our senses, mind and intellect and we are illuminated by Him. So how could those senses which are illuminated by Him illuminate God? Illuminate meaning when our eyes see something, it's like they're illuminating it. But our eyes are being illuminated by God. So those eyes that are being illuminated by God, how could they illuminate God? Same thing with our ears, same thing with our varni, same thing with our mind. Yadyadvibhuti matsatvam shri madur jitamevava tattadevavagachatvam mamate jonshasambhavam gita. Shri Krishna says, whatever glory, brilliance, or illumination there is in this whole great endless universe it's all just a tiny unch of his power of his illumination we are like tiny small little unch of his illumination devatas may be bigger unch of his illumination but we're all tiny insignificant unch and bhagwan is like mahaprakash Kain Upanishad also tells us about one time when the Devatas forgot this fact. They were having a war with the Asuras and they were having some trouble so they went to Bhagwan for help. So Bhagwan, like he always does, he helped the Devatas and with Bhagwan's help they defeated the demons. But after having defeated the demons then they were thinking, oh we're so great, we're so strong, We've defeated them in this war. Look at our power. They forgot that who gave them the power to defeat the demons. 
Thus, Bhagwan decided to teach them a lesson. He appeared there in Swarg, but not as Ram or Krishna. He appeared as a great, huge, luminous yaksh. And all those devtas, they were dumbstruck. They thought, what is this? Who is this? It's shining so brightly, more brightly than the sun. So they all came to Indra and asked him. He said, Agni, why don't you go and see who it is? You're the god of fire. Go and see. You also are so bright. Go and see who this bright personality is. So Agni ran towards that bright, brightly shining yaksh. Upanishad says he ran and proudly went up to that yaksh and said, Hey, who are you? So Bhagwan in that form said, Who are you? He said, Who am I? Everyone knows who I am. I'm the famous god of fire, Jataved. God said, Oh. So what are your powers? My powers? I can burn everything that exists in an instant. Just turn it to ashes. God said, uh, oh, okay, then he picked up a small blade of dry grass. He put that tinka in front of Agni Dev, and he said, show me your power by burning this. Agni thought, that's a strange test for one so powerful as me. Kind of scoffed at the idea, like, you know, this is an insult to my power. But God said, no, 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 please just show me, at least burn this, then we'll talk of bigger things. And God turned off the main power switch. Remember, he's Prakashak. Everybody else is Prakashya. They all get their power from him. Us? and the celestial gods. So he turned off the main power switch and Agni became cold. <laughs> so Agni could not even burn that little tinka. So being embarrassed, he went back. And Indra and everybody asked, uh, you know, so who was it? And he just kept quiet because he was embarrassed. So then Indra said, okay, Vayu, Vayu Dev, the god of wind, you're also very powerful, you go and see. So he went with the same ahankar. Who are you? And God again said, Who are you? Oh, I am Vayudev, the great god of wind. Oh, God said. And uh, what are your powers? My powers? I can smash and turn upside down everything in this whole world. I'm so powerful. God again picked up that little tinka and he said, well, could you please show me your power by just see if you can blow this around a little? Isko hilao? <laughs> so, again, Vayudev was slightly insulted by this challenge, but God asked him, no, no, please just show me, blow this around. So, at that time, God turned off the main power switch to Vayudev, and Vayu himself became totally still. So he couldn't move, let alone blow that little tinka. Then God released him and he went back. He was also embarrassed and he went back, unable to know who that was. So then they all urged Indra, you please go because, you know, you're our king. Maybe you can find out. So he went. As he approached, since Indra has the most ahankar of all of them, God didn't even give him the chance to get close. He said, enough is enough. He just disappeared. Enough of these games. And in his place, Uma Devi, his Mahashakti, appeared. And Indra recognized her and bowed down and said, Mataji, please tell me who was that great luminous being who was just here a moment ago? She said, that was Bhagwan. He came to teach you a lesson. You all got proud, right? After defeating the Asuras. He came to remind you that whatever you do, it is only with his power. So when he is our Prakashak and we are all Prakashya, again, it's the, it would be the case of the light bulb challenging the powerhouse. How could our senses and mind challenge God that, oh, I can perceive you, I can know you? It's impossible. 
Next reason. Reason number four. He is dharak and we are dharyaman. Atava bahunaitena kingyatena tavarjuna Ishtabhyahamidankritsna mekanshena sthito jagat gita. When Arjun asked Shri Krishna to describe his vibhuti, his almighty power, his almighty greatness, Krishna gave some description, but in the end he said, Arjun, what are you going to understand through my words? Let me just sum it up by saying this much, that I omnipresently envelop every particle of this universe and uphold its existence. So if God was not upholding this universe, if God was not upholding our very existence, none of this could exist. So he is dharak and we are dharyaman, we are being upheld by him. So again, how could the dharyaman expect or challenge God that I can know you. It's impossible. Reason number five. Vigyataramare kena vijaniyaditi. Ved says, God is the knower. He is gyata. Saveti vedyam nachatasyasti veta tamahuragriyam purukham mahantam. Veda again says, God is the only knower of himself. No one else can know God except him, his own self. He can know himself, no one else can know him. Think about it. If our buddhi could know God, our buddhi being prakrit, might, and limited, and God being divine and unlimited, if God could, if we could know God, it means that God fit in our intellect. Hamari buddhi mein bhagwan samagaya. That's what it would mean. How is it possible for an unlimited thing to be understood in a limited mind? Or for a divine thing to be understood in a material mind? If with our mind we could know God, it, mean, it would mean one of two things. Either our mind is divine, that's how we could know divine God, or God is material, that's how we could know God with our Prakrit Buddhi. It would mean God would have to be Prakrit and Simit. He would have to be material and limited, only then he could be known by a material limited mind. So it's a good thing that we can't know him with our mind. If we could, it would mean, in fact, you would have to say our mind is greater than God. If we could know God with our mind, it would mean God is not God, our mind is God. Because our mind is greater than God if it can know God. Reason number six. Yaha sarvagya sarvavidyasya jnanamayantapaha. Mundakopanishad says, God is sarvagya. He knows everything. There are three things. Alpagya, gya, and sarvagya. Gya is there in all of them. Alpagya, number one. Gya, number two. Sarvagya, number three. Gya means to know. So, alpagya, that's all of us. Alpa means a little bit. We have limited knowledge. That's all the souls under maya. Gya means souls beyond maya, God-realized saints. They're gya. Gya means... Whatever they want to know, they can know. Any moment, if they think, I want to know this, they can know it. It can come in their mind. But Sarvagya is only Bhagwan. Sarvagya means he knows all, all the time. He knows every thought of every soul, every movement of every particle of dust everywhere in this universe. 
He knows all of that all the time. That's Sarvagya. Gya means those saints, they can know any of that anywhere at any time if they want to. That's Gya. And Alpagya, that's us. We know very little. So how could Alpagya know Sarvagya again? It's beyond the realm of logic. If someone were to go out on the ocean in a rowboat and using their oar, plunge it into the ocean and then hold it up and say, See everybody? This is the depth of the ocean, my three-foot oar. And then there's someone in a, another boat nearby who has a five-foot oar. He says, Don't listen to this person. What is he talking about? No, no, no. See? I put my whole five-foot oar into the ocean. It means the ocean is five-foot deep. And someone else has a ten-foot pole. He says, "These, neither of these know anything. Look at me. I put my ten-foot pole into the ocean. It means the ocean is ten feet deep. They're all wrong. They're measuring the length of their own oar. They're not measuring the depth of the ocean. All they, know, all they can know is the ocean is more than that. The ocean is deeper than that. So however great is our intellect, by trying to know God with that intellect, we're only proving the own limitation of our mind. We're not actually knowing God. Someone might think that, uh, well, okay, maybe someone who's really intelligent could know God. Nope. Even Brahma himself says, Brahma, the one who created this Brahman, even he says, Naham nayuyam yadritangatim vidur navam deva kimuta pare surah tanmayaya mohita buddhayas he says to Naradji, Narad, not I, nor you, nor even Shiva, nor anyone can know Bhagwan Shri Krishna. When we try to know him, what we're only doing is exercising the extent of our intellect. We can't actually know the extent of who is Bhagwan Shri Krishna. There's one more reason I'll give you for this, why no one can know God. It's because God is the abode of simultaneously existing opposites. Vaishvare Brahmanino Virudhyate Vasudevji says, O Bhagwan Shri Krishna, you are Viruddha Dharma Shray. It means like if uh, these lights could be both on and off at the same time. Is that possible in this world? No. Something is either on or off. But God is the abode of simultaneously existing opposites. For instance, Arno Raniyan Mahato Mahiyanatma Guhayam Nitosya Janto. Kathopanishad says, He is more subtle and smaller than the smallest thing. And simultaneously, he is Arno Raniyat. He is more Arnu than the most Arnu thing. And Mahato Atma. He is greater than the greatest thing, bigger than the biggest thing, simultaneously. How? Well, think about it. He permeates every particle of this universe. He's even within our soul, which is the most subtle thing of all. So it means he has to be even more subtle than that. And simultaneously, everything that exists, exists within him. 
Even this endless universe exists within God. So it means he has to be bigger than that. So he's bigger than the biggest and he's smaller than the smallest simultaneously. Tadejati tannaijati taddure tadvantike tadantarasya sarvasya tad sarvasyasya bahyataha Ishopanisha says God moves but he doesn't move. He is within you and he's without you. He's closer than the closest and he's farther than the farthest. And all of this is simultaneously true. He is within every soul. He's also outside of every soul. He's closer than the closest because he inhabits your very soul and he's farther than the farthest because you can't reach him, you can't know him, you can't experience him. He moves because he's seen to be moving when he takes avatar, yet he doesn't move because he doesn't have to. He can't come and go because he's already everywhere. Sarvendriya gunabhasam sarvendriya vivarjitam Ved also says, Shvetashvatra Upanishad says, He has no senses but he grasps all the objects of the senses. In other words, Binupad chalai sunai binu kana kar binu karma karahi vidhinana anan rahita sakal ras bhogi binubani bhakta bad jogi Tan binu paras nayan binu dekha as sab bhanti binu bas as sab bhanti alaukik karni Ramayan says without eyes he sees without ears he hears Without a tongue, he tastes. Without a voice, he speaks. Without hands, he performs all kinds of karm. Without feet, he can walk. In other words, all of his actions are alaukik. In every way, he is divine beyond this world. So imagine, on one hand, Vedas are saying he has no hands, no feet, no senses, meaning no eyes, no ears. Yet, how does he see? How does he hear? How does he walk? How does he talk? He does all of these things. Apani pado javano grahita pasyatya chakshu sashrino tyakarna saveti vedyam nachatasyasti veta tayo. Kathopanishad says, Shvetashvatropanishad also says, he has no feet, but he walks. He has no eyes, but he sees. Again, all the same contradictions within God. More contradiction. Purukha eve dagvam sarvam yadbhutam yachabhavyam Purushsukh says, he's only one. There's only God and there's nothing else. Isha vasyami dagvam sarvam yatkincha jagatyan jagat. Isha vasya Upanishad says the same thing. There's only God, it's all God and nothing else. Ekameva dvitiyam brahma neha nanasti kinchana. Same thing. There's only God, one God and nothing else. Yet, same Ved says, Dva suparna sayuja sakhaya samanam vricham parikasva jate. In other words, in addition to God, there are also souls. And in other places, Ved says, 
चरम प्रधानमृताक्षरम हर क्षरात्मादीशते देव एक In other words, there are three things. There's God, there are souls, and there's Maya. So there are so many internally existing contradictions within God. Ajayamano bahudha vijayate. Ved says he's unborn, but he takes he has taken birth uncountable times on this earth planet. How can he be both? Unborn, never born, yet he's taken birth uncountable times. Gita says the same thing. Ajopisanabyatma Bhutanamishvaropisan Prakritim Swamadhishtaya Sambhavamyatma Mayaya. Is unborn, eternal, he never takes birth, yet he keeps taking birth again and again, over and over, every yug he keeps coming. Sambhavami yuge yuge. How do we reconcile all of this? We can't, it's beyond our intellect. God is divine in every way and he's the abode of simultaneous simultaneously existing opposites so we simply have to accept that he is and that he's totally beyond our intellect and for all of these reasons no one even brahma himself can understand him with his own intellect so it leaves us with a big problem the problem is Veda is saying you must know God. But according to all of these verses I quoted for you today, it's totally illogical if someone thinks that he can know God. Yet, Veda also says, Vedaha metam purukham mahanta maditya varnam tamasa parastat Upanishad, a saint is saying, I have known God. Many have known God, and you can know God too. So how can you know God? We'll find out in tomorrow's speech. Bhuliye Vrindavan Bihari Lal Ki Jai.